Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. All right, so we're going to switch things up a little bit. We were going to uh, get into our conversation looking into the elections taking place in Zimbabwe this weekend, but uh, we'll do that at 11 o'clock now, and we'll bring our our 11 o'clock conversation just a little bit forward, and we're looking at the rights of people with mental illness. Uh, Dr. Gakiso Marohani is uh, a public sector national convener of the South African Society of of psychiatrists and we're going to be talking on the uh, about you know just the the general issue of mental health in this country and asking you know why is it that we face such incredible challenges when it comes to providing access to mental health and you know some research that uh, has come out has shown that South Africa in fact is amongst the worst ranked in the world when it comes to providing access to mental health services for the majority of the uh, population and and I don't know why this is. We know that there's a a shortage of psychiatrists in uh, this country, and we also know that you know they, there's they, they, there's a stigma. There really continues to be a stigma around mental wellness, and it's difficult uh, for people to come out and talk about what it is that they're going through without feeling like they're going to be judged, without feeling like they're going to be taken less than what they are uh, because they have been able to be vocal and and express uh, some of the challenges that they may be facing in in their own lives. And Dr. Marohan is really going to uh, speak to us about what it is that people can be doing and, and how do we remove the stumbling blocks? How do we remove the challenges that are facing the country when it comes to access to mental health care services? And of course, there's, there's then, you know, the conversation about what happens to people who are in the system, so who are uh, receiving care from public health facilities. We all remember what happened with the life Esidimeni tragedy and the extent to which there was complete disregard for human life and, uh, you know, the kind of care that was supposed to be taken, even in the process of ensuring that patients were well attended to, that they were well catered for, that did not happen. And that in and of itself sends a message to society about the seriousness with which we treat mental health patients. Dr. Kakiso Marohani, good morning to you and welcome to the show this morning. Kathy, thank you for having me on the show. Sure. You know, Dr. Marohani, perhaps you can better explain why it is that South Africa continues to be a country that is seen as not being able to provide adequate access for mental well-being across the board before we come to even patients that are diagnosed with um, specific illnesses? Yeah, I think that there are a number of factors. Uh, I think historically, uh, not only for South Africa, but for a lot of countries, there is the issue of uh, basically denialism or or under-reporting or underplaying of the magnitude of mental illness. Um, when I tell people that uh, one in three people in their lifestyle will have a common mental illness, they're in disbelief because they don't understand how 
prevalent it is. For other physical conditions, yes, we know that um, they are there, but not mental illness. We don't know how big a problem it, it is. Um, then with the stigma, I think there's a misunderstanding of how what we can do about the condition. Mm. Um, is it the person's laziness? Is it um, them just not being strong enough mentally? Whereas this person could be slowly developing a mental illness. So also there's a misunderstanding. Uh, and that misunderstanding goes from just normal people to even administrators and perhaps even sometimes government officials. So our job is to continuously educate not only the community, but you know um, the, the healthcare practitioners and government workers to know how to see how big this problem is and start dealing with it. When we look at South Africa, given the multiplicity of challenges that we're facing, so you've got you know ridiculously high levels of 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 unemployment. We've got high levels of crime. We've got you know high levels of poverty, and all of these experiences are traumatic experiences to the human being. So uh, in, yeah. in any normal circumstance, you cannot ex- uh, you know, expect a person who experiences any of these traumas to be okay because you know, they, they put in, in different situations that really have such a, 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 a huge emotional burden. And, and yet, we don't seem to respond uh, to these challenges as inflicting trauma on South Africans or, or of, on the people of, of this country. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm very glad that you've raised that issue. So we call them social determinants of mental illness. Mm-hmm. So these are things that people are experiencing on a daily basis, unemployment, domestic violence, neglect, um, or just lost opportunities, not being able to to whatever talent or whatever abilities they have, be able to manifest and maybe create their own business and their own independence. All of these things are social determinants that um, lead to mental illness. When you look at mental illness, there can be what we call endogenous uh, causes, which is maybe there's genetic predisposition, but they're also ex- ex- uh, exogenous, so they come from outside. So these are the things that you're talking about. And you're right, government needs to spend a lot of time, and even society itself, looking at those issues. How can we employ more people? How can we prevent domestic violence? How can we better take of our children? Is our, our school system working well? Are we treating the school children well in the school? Are we bullying them or harassing them? Mm-hmm. So we have to look at all those issues in order to eventually reduce the incidence of mental illness in the country. How do we ensure that we improve access? And, and, and maybe access is, is the next step of the conversation. Let me take one step back to create the kind of space and conversations where people feel that it is okay and people are comfortable with seeking support? Yeah, I think the first thing, and um, access can be at multiple levels. Mm. The first thing is that I must feel as an individual that if I have a problem, if I'm an 18-year-old child, I must feel that I can talk to my mom, my dad, about the problem that I'm having. I have access to their ear, I have access to to their concern, because some kids feel that, you know, I've got a parent here, but I can't even tell them, and I can't even tell my friends, because they're going to they're gonna judge me or tell everybody that I've got problems. So mm. we need to be make ourselves available to those who've got mental illness. And then the other thing is that we need to not only think about psychiatrists as a point of entry or access, 
you know, there the must be registered counselors in the community. There must be social workers in the community. Uh, there must be psychiatric nurses in the community. These are the people that you can access to easily recognize that you've got a problem, and then they can filter you through uh, based on the referral system to the right people. And then our last part, last bit of access is that the medication and the, 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 the facilities must be available as close as possible to the patients. If there are few facilities, they get full. There are lots of patients in casualty, and that creates a problem. So they don't have access to the treatment that they need timelessly. Mm-hmm. And the channels of access at a local level, uh, you know, I think it was last year that we had a conversation with uh, one of the officials from your organization, that is the South African Society of Psychiatrists, and they were talking about a shortage of psychiatrists generally in the country, which of course then, uh, you know, really puts the question of access uh, in, in a very compromised position because when you only have so many health officials that can attend to people, it means that the number of people who can legitimately be treated is is, is compromised. Oh, definitely, definitely. I mean, the other problem is that even if you have the specialist, most of them are in the private sector. Mm. So the public sector gets left with about 230 or so psychiatrists in the whole country. And obviously we have a lot of people who've got mental illness and not all of them have got medical aid. So the majority of them need public sector psychiatrists. So that is the, that is the big problem that we're dealing with. But I'm particularly worried about the children and adolescents. So um, only about three full-time employed child psychiatrists. Well, only three provinces have got child psychiatrists you know, in the country. So and other provinces, the other six provinces don't have child psychiatrists and obviously they've got children and adolescents. So there's no access for those children to specialist care. Mm-hmm. And, and, and sure, that is absolutely staggering because what what does that mean then? Does it mean that, you know, children in, in some provinces who need these services have to travel to other provinces? How does it work? Yeah, <laughs> that's a good question. I mean, if, if the child has got medical aid, it may be easier for them to travel, but these are long distances between, you know, rural area to an urban area. So what we're trying to do, we're trying to encourage what we call task sharing or task shifting. So I, as a psychiatrist, what I will do, I will train doctors in those provinces that don't have child psychiatrists about some minor childhood illnesses and something so they can at least try to be able to, to know how to manage this at their level and Obviously, if they don't, that doesn't work, then they can come to us. But that training needs to be consistent and has to be um, obviously at the right level so the person can actually do something about it. It all depends anyway on the confidence level of the health practitioner um, to actually do the work. So, But the training and, and sharing the, the, the tasks and task shifting may eventually help us. Uh, but eventually, it would be better to have child psychiatrists in every province. Mm. When it comes to the categorizations, you know, within mental illness, um, many people, of course, tend to feel like, okay, if if I'm suffering from anxiety, I'm just a little bit anxious, you know, um, it's not that serious. Or um, um, maybe it's depression where they feel that, okay, I'm just feeling a little bit down, but it's it's not that that serious. What what can we be doing to to really and un- make people understand that you know it, it it's not okay 
yeah. when you are feeling anxious, even if it's just maybe half of the time you're feeling anxious. Yeah. And that, that is, you know, th- there's a different way in which your life can be. That doesn't have to be your your reality. Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad you're raising this, this point. I mean, if you have a headache, you do something about it, whether mm. it's you're taking panada or something. But somehow when people feel a little bit sad for about a week or so, or even when they're anxious, like you say, they don't they don't seem to to know what to do or do anything about it. But I think it's just maybe uh, uh, the lack of education about some of the psychiatric symptoms that you get, so anxiety, depression, lack of sleep, not not, not eating. And we need to educate society that these are the first signs of trouble, and don't ignore them. And myself as a psychiatrist, I much prefer to see someone earlier on, or even a GP can see someone earlier on, because what I've noticed is that as it lingers on from mild, moderate to severe anxiety or depression, it becomes very difficult now to manage it, you know, or it needs combination medication and the recovery process is longer. Mm-hmm. So encouraging patients, like you said, with a little bit of anxiety or even depression, please see your GP. Maybe the GP can then refer you to the psychologist. Um, we can recommend healthy eating and we can recommend for something like exercise and obviously we can ask you to refrain from drugs and alcohol, maybe that'll elevate the problem. This this research that I came across was uh, quite startling, and and it, uh, you know, it was part of a, a study that uh, was done by by SADC and also included a research from the UCT's Department of Psychiatry and Mental Health, and it found that over forty percent of people living with HIV in this country have a diagnosable mental disorder. Yes, no, no, that that is true. Uh, that is true, and 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 I can imagine it was far worse back in the days when people were still there was a lot of stigma around HIV/AIDS, mm-hmm. and there was a lot of denialism. There was a lot of implications about having been diagnosed with HIV back 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 uh, decades ago. It was like a life sentence. It was a life, uh, death sentence, basically. Um, now it's a little bit better because obviously people out ARVs and ARVs work quite well, so people are managed to live with the uh, with mental illness, but there's still some implications. You know, if you think about it, then your life, you feel like, I cannot do certain things because I've got HIV AIDS. Maybe I can't marry. Maybe I can't have children. You know, uh, how who do I disclose to? Will they judge me? So all those things can be the genesis of underlying anxiety and depression. So that 40% seems quite uh, reasonable to me. We're going to continue the conversation with Dr. Kahiso Marohane, who is the public sector national convener or convener rather of the South African Society of Psychiatrists. For now, it's 10:30. Let me take you over to the latest news headlines. The Talking Point with Kathy Motlasana, weekdays 9 a.m. till midday. We continue the conversation on the talking point and we're really looking at improving the rights of people when it comes to accessing services that can improve and attend to a mental wellness. Dr. Kahiso Marohani is with us for that conversation. Dr. Marohani, I just wanted to stay a little bit with that figure that we're talking about around uh, HIV uh, positive people. What what does it effectively mean when we say that such a large number of people who are living with HIV, you know, would be also would also have a, a diagnosable mental disorder? What does this mean for 
the quality of 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 their life because we we have many families in South Africa who would have relatives, loved ones who are HIV positive. And, and I, w- I would want to think that people would also want to put themselves in a position where they are able to help. Yes, yes. No, I, I think that this research is not only important, uh, like you're saying, for family members, but it's also important for, for health practitioners. Mm-hmm. So if it's for health practitioners, the first thing that we need to do, we need to think, if so many people with HIV, HIV are having a diagnosable mental illness, then I must screen for it. I must assume that it's there with every person that I'm seeing with HIV. You know, sometimes a patient comes in, you know, are you taking your medication? We can see your viral load is, is low, undetectable. Okay, here's your medication, go home. We need to go beyond that to say mm-hmm. that, but are you, are you depressed? Are you anxious? We need to interrogate a little bit more of, of our patients. In fact, all of our patients, we need to start asking, do they, may, may, may they, do they have some symptoms of mental illness? And then in that way, we'll start picking up a lot of these mental disorders. And even within our own clinics and our own hospital, we'll reach that 40% that you're talking about. And then we can do something about it. Because not, all, not anyone is going to just easily tell you, I've got major depressive disorder. You know, we need to pick it up. So we need, we encourage, we need to encourage healthcare practitioners to screen for this problem, particularly in, in, in patients with HIV. And then the same thing with family, family members as well. Um, we need to kind of think... Um, you know, why is this person isolating themselves? That is a big, big sign that that that, that tends to patients have at the, at the at the beginning. Why is this person sleeping so much? Why are they not eating? And immediately that must trigger within us that there could be a mental illness. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when we send them to the doctor, the doctor may, may, may realize that it's related to some other medical condition like HIV. We're going to take your calls on 011-714-2006 and uh, your contributions to this conversation on WhatsApp as well on 0614-104-107. I'll take some of your messages on Twitter at SFM Radio, the hashtag there, SFM Talking Point. Uh, Dr. Marohanya also wants us to look at, again, um, this research that, that was done by uh, UCT's Department of Psychiatry and Mental Health, and it's particularly concerning around women and women in low-income and informal settlements. And and they did the study in Cape Town, and it showed that one in three women suffers from postnatal depression. In rural KwaZulu-Natal, different research also showed that 41% of pregnant women are depressed, and this is found to be more than three times higher than the prevalence in developed countries. And again, when it comes to stigma, there seems to be different levels of stigma, you know, depending on what the conversation is around mental illness. So yes, anxiety and depression, people, uh, you know, there's more openness about it. But when it comes to things like postnatal depression, that seems to be uh, w- one of the aspects of mental health that there's they, there's a complete denial about and almost you know completely taboo like why why would this thing e- even happen you know and and many women feel condemned and feel like they're not good mothers despite the fact that they are unable to fully control or even explain what it is that they're going through 
Yeah, no, no. Postnatal depression is, is, is certainly one of our most serious uh, mental conditions that we have because it has implications uh, not only for the mother but also for, for the child. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you, you talk about it as being postnatal depression, but it could have become so severe that the person is becoming psychotic. And you can imagine if the patient is becoming psychotic, then they must they start becoming paranoid about not only people around them, but even the child themselves. Mm-hmm. So the child may, may appear as a threat to their own lives, and you can imagine the, the risk that poses to the child. So we worry about this depression could just become psychosis. Another condition we worry about is bipolar mood disorder. So we found that most patients who develop depression postnatally eventually they you know most most of them they end up having bipolar mood disorder which is also another serious mental conditions with fluctuating mood irritability not sleeping well and also psychosis so i i think if, if ever we see a mother not being so attached to their child um sleeping too much uh, not doing what we will normally expect them to do when they have a child or becoming irritable we should start thinking, you know, this is just not baby blues, this is just not depression. This could be something serious and we need to do something about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but further on, I, I think it goes back to the screening issue, isn't it? That antenatally, when the patients are going to the antenatal, uh, through the antenatal period, they must start asking for depression signs of the patients. And the mother can do that, a sister can do that, and everybody can do that. And we must stop this idea that it's always a joyful experience for a lot of women. Mm-hmm. And that's it, right? It requires just that extra level of, of awareness from all of us as a society and not necessarily put people under pressure and put women under pressure to, to be a certain way or to feel a certain yeah. way. Um, no, that is true. It could have been an unplanned pregnancy, for example. Mm. Uh, there could be lack of support from the from the father of the child. You know, they, they could have broken up, for example, you know. Mm. And this is nine months before they even have a child. Already they don't have a relationship. Already they're thinking, how am I going to support this child? Um, this child came at a wrong time in their sort of career or their lifetime. So that on its own can lead someone to become a depression, depressed and quite anxious. Dr. Maruhanyu, what advice do you have for people who... Uh, think that they may need help? Um, I, I, you, you speak about SADC. Uh, it's a quite a wonderful organization. It's been there quite some time. And they've got telephone uh, counselors that can be reached telephonically so people can get their number on their website and, and at least try to engage with them. Uh, we're trying to get a lot of uh, registered counselors, at least here in Gauteng, um, to be in the community, in, in, the, in the small clinics, so that they can also accessible to, to community members um, so but we need the family members to sort of not, not necessarily call out those who are not well but help those who are not well and say go to the clinic let's not underestimate clinics and want to rush to hospitals in the first place at the clinic level perhaps you can find some help and your GP as well if you're constantly complaining about headache you know um, shoulder ache neck strain that's not getting better it's probably you probably have depression and your GP may be able to refer you to a psychiatrist after that. Dr. Kakiso Marukhanye, let me thank you uh, for your time today. He is with the South African Society of Psychiatrists. And I think, you know, we need to do a, a lot more in-depth understanding these different types of um, m- mental illnesses that people can suffer from uh, so that we're all better informed and, and knowledge is really going to be the way in which we are able not only to 
empower ourselves and empower those around us and and again create those spaces where people are able to get help people are able to raise their hands uh, uh, i think when when you look at the number of suicide the suicide rate in this country including the suicide rate of children especially in a country like south africa it is absolutely devastating and i don't know why it is that we only have three provinces that have you know employed full-time child psychiatrists how does that even make sense where must the rest of of the children of this country go to when they need support especially given the fact that we know just how much trauma children in this country are also facing on the day today all right we'll take a quick break and i'm back with you after this <music> 